0: Hello and welcome to Politics War Room with James Carville and I'm Al Hunt. This week our guest is University of Pennsylvania Professor Marcy Hamilton, an expert on constitutional law and the founder and CEO of Child USA. Now remember, we love taking your questions, so write into Room at gmail.com or send a tweet to @politicon for next week's show. We'll get to as many as we can, but don't forget to tell us where you're from. Please check out the links to our sponsors, Zbiotics, ExpressVPN, and Real Paper in our episode show notes. We thank you for supporting these sponsors; it really helps make this podcast happen. Please tell your friends about us and remind them to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. James, I'm gonna I'm gonna need your help. Uh, the House is officially launching an impeachment inquiry into President Biden. Now, as you know, James, I'm, I'm not a newcomer to Washington. I've, I've been around a lot. Uh, I follow the news pretty closely. I covered one impeachment in 1974, and I wrote about three others. But I confess, uh, it's a total ignorance on this, and I have to turn to your wisdom. What am I missing? What, what, what are the grounds for impeaching President Biden? What, what, what are the high crimes and misdemeanors involved here? You've got to help me because I'm in the dark. Well, I, Albert, I tried. I, you know,
1: obviously, we before we do these shows, we generally talk about what we're going to talk about. And I originally had the same view you did. So I came and I actually did due diligence. I read about it. And I said, well, I what, what was it? Some about a car of $1,300 or something? And by the way, it was in 2018, it, it wouldn't have mattered if it was $13 million, but it wasn't. And so I started calling people, you know, I'm saying some, you know, people have more involved in the news than I am. And the answer I got is the same one as you. No, no one even knows what this is about. Uh, And if you took the most extreme possible answer, you, you could think that it was some kind of a payola. You still have nothing now. And, and what I don't understand, and we, we've talked about this, is the 18 from districts that Trump carried, the other two from districts that uh, I mean that Biden carried, I'm sorry, that Biden lost by under a percentage point. It's no sense in waiting yep. on these people. <laughs> there, 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 there's no difference between Tom Cain's son and Mike Johnson. There's no difference between Don Bacon and. Uh, Margie Taylor Green, and they have all bought into this, and I, I, of course we're going to make them look like fools. And I guess I, at the end of the day, what I'd say is, to the American public, I'm not sure it matters. I really not. I don't, I don't know it. Usually, if you make if you make a fool of yourself repeatedly, people catch on and. They tend not to like it, but I don't know. I, I, there's zero basis for this, and they're all going to go along with it, and they're going to get exposed and
0: made idiots of, and I don't know if it'll matter. You may be right. You, you, you've clarified this a little bit for me. Uh, remember Michael Kinsley one time said, a gaffe in Washington is when a politician accidentally tells the truth. And uh, an obscure congressman from Texas named Troy Nels uh, I think this time committed a gaffe or told the truth. He said, why are we doing this? And he said to give more ammo to Trump in 2024. Namely, he's going to say, all right, fine. You say I was impeached three times. This guy was impeached too, and he's more guilty than I am. Uh, it, it, it's, it's, it's no different. Now, that, of course, is a lie, but that's what they traffic in. And uh, I think they are – this is every, – almost everything they do is under orders from the ex-president. Uh, he dominates that party. He dominates that caucus. I I think it's potentially potentially could backfire. I I'm not predicting this, but well, so how does it backfire? We well, I mean, talk about backfire. It, it, it damages, damages the Republicans
1: because not that they, right. It's not that they make a fool out of you the MSNBC or something. But backfire means that you you lose you lose political credibility. how. how after all of this could just possibly cost them. A, a well, because reform.
0: people will see how stupid it is. People don't like that. You'll remember when they tried to impeach Clinton in 1998 and 99. Uh, it, it, it certainly backfired right. on them. It, it, uh, and I think it's possible. Look, the problem that Biden has is there's no energy. There's no enthusiasm. I mean, you have a poll that you can refer to. You and Stan Greenberg did that underscores that. It may be, it just may be that some of those Soft or lackadaisical potential supporters will say, "Wait a goddamn minute! I mean, what they're doing—this is just outrage. These people don't care about anything. They're, 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 they're thugs, uh, and that's not what we sent people to Washington for." I, I, I'm not not quite predicting that, but I think when people see a Joe McCarthy wit- witch hunt, they know it, and uh, and I think it's conceivable that they react to it. It's not going to help them, and the only question is, does it hurt them? Right. right. I tell you, and okay. I'm going to disagree here. There is no evidence, none,
1: that this could possibly hurt them. If January the 6th and, and their behavior in the aftermath has not hurt them, is no discernible way that we can figure out. Right? How in the world, how big of a fool did they repeatedly make out of themselves? And it doesn't matter. I'd like to think that there's some possibility of what you're saying is right. Now. I just don't think there's any possibility. I could, you know, holding up foreign aid for political purposes. All of the things they've done have not mattered at all. He is ahead. Understand that. And and, and, you know it, I think it'll help them slightly because they, they have to do something because they because I'll listen to 125 on the satellite, and you know, i listen to Newsmax and i listen to Fox or view it or whatever you do, and they don't have any choice because they're, you, you have to listen to Mark events, literally screaming having an nervous breakdown, and if they don't do anything, their contributions will fall off. They'll go home, they'll get accosted at the, at the the Walmart or the Publix or the Kroger or whatever they have in their district. That they need to do something, goddammit. And you know, they did it to Trump, so you do it to him, evidence be damned. So I I hey I, I think this is a necessary political move on their part. If they didn't do this, well, it would let be me hurt
0: disagree with you and throw your own words back at you. Ever since okay, January 6th, sure. ever since early twenty one, uh, and almost every single election, not quite every one, the Republicans have done poorly. They have underperformed. And some of that had to do with candidates. Some of that had to do with issues like abortion. Some of it had to do with a sense of the Republican Party, which I think was framed by both Trump and what those uh, clowns did on January the 6th. So I don't agree it hadn't hurt him. It hadn't hurt him as much as it should. Uh, but I I, I don't know. It This one may not hurt either. You know I mean? But I— let, 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 let me. You're going to rebut, rebut my, my rebuttal? St- 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 January 6th happened
1: January the 6th, 2021. Mm-hmm. All right. We got our asses kicked in November of 2021. No doubt about it. All right. We severely underperformed in Virginia. We more than severely underperformed in New Jersey. It was only after Dobbs that the electoral map started changing in the Democrats' favor. I would submit that this had, this had everything to do with Dobbs and very little to do with the crazy shit in January 6th and everything else. But, you know, different people have different views of things, but they certainly did kick our ass nine months
0: yeah, they they did, the although January in twenty twenty two before Dobbs there were some special elections that really did uh, uh go heavily uh heavily D. I I think the I I cannot quarrel with the November uh twenty one. I think some of it had to do with candidates, but in any event I think they've been I think their image has been hurt if you look at people's image of Republicans. And this may not make any difference. But it is so totally outrageous. I'm not quite sure why it would be different in that sense. Than what happened in 1998 with the House Republicans and their absurd impeachment? It may be different. Maybe people don't care anymore. Uh, But there's a model at least for it having an impact.
1: Um, I hope. I mean, look, I'm pulling against myself, but Phil Murphy and Terry McAuliffe. No, Terry 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 wasn't in 21. Terry was back in. There weren't no, no one even knew who the guy yeah, in New no, Jersey was. no, I agree was. with New Jersey.
0: I mean, Terry screwed okay. up the I, parents thing, which hurt him, but in any event. Um, you know, but it's not just those guys. I mean, I look at that whole house. Elise Stefanik, who's one of my favorites, as you know, I think she may be the biggest fraud in the House. She went from being the head of the House moderates to a Jim Jordan, Donald Trump sycophon. There was a hearing this week on anti-Semitism on college campuses, Harvard, uh, Penn, uh, MIT. Uh, it really had nothing to do with anti-Semitism. It had to do with her able to demagogue. Stefanik was the lead Republican on this. And she really went after the president of Harvard, a woman named Claudine Gay, who had been there, I think, for about five weeks on October 7th. And, uh, you know, a day or two later, she did denounce what happened October 7th, what Hamas's terrorism was. And then she went through Shabbat and she was she got a standing ovation. And yet... Stephonic, who I think has no concept of what free speech means, insisted that she resign. Now, of course, Stefanic, I can understand the way she feels that way because she was on a Harvard advisory board. And when she was lying about the elections, they kicked her off. So I don't know. Maybe none of it matters. Maybe, uh, you know, the country's moved to the point that you can just have a bunch of uh, lying buffoons and Joe McCarthy type clowns. Uh, but if that's the case, the problem goes Much deeper than just Joe Biden. You know,
1: I I guess I'm just genetically structured different. But as soon as I see Harvard, a Penn, and students, I just don't pay attention to it. Why does it matter so much what a Penn student thinks? It matters so little if a Michigan State student, of which is a state that has some of the highest concentration of Arab Americans, is anyway. I, I, I don't. I don't get this. Like the whole most important thing in this entire thing, post October seventh, is what the fuck does a Penn student think of a Harvard president? And I think it's just an obsession of, of certain people with their own kind. And I, I, but you're, not, you're never going to stop, never going to stop this. I, I know this all of my life. People see it. And of course, they, they extrapolate from that the correct assumption that what the fuck I think doesn't matter. It only matters. No, I disagree
0: matter. totally. It matters. This is a matter of free speech. Okay, it sure. mattered at UCLA. It mattered at Indiana yeah. University. It mattered a whole lot. You know, again, whatever you know, you think of the Ivy League. You know, that's fine. That's a separate matter. This this is a matter of free speech, and 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 you know, free speech includes hateful speech. And you go back to Justice Brandeis hundred years ago, who said the only speech that really should be banned is speech that either either calls for or incites violence. I think that's a pretty good test, and I think on a number of campuses that are far apart from the Ivy League, uh, that's been a uh, I think that's been an important test. That's and I think it's so. I'm going
1: to have Media Matters do a search and see how many times Harvard's been mentioned and how many times the University of Indiana's been mentioned. I I I'd put the line at about
0: well I you know but uh, you know don't just do that do the Ivy leagues and then do all the others because you're saying it's just the Ivy leagues so if you do the Ivy leagues and have them search all the others I think you'd find a different rever- uh, a different result
1: uh, uh, All right. So, so they mentioned other schools that the same intensity and coverage that they do to Ivy League I, well I, I'll you, have you certainly
0: have that coverage of the New York Times cuz they're situated right there, and that's where all their editors are from. But I think if you look at the, you know, at the papers in, you know, Wichita or uh, even San Francisco or uh, other places, I think in Minneapolis you'd see a different result. So, so, so the claim that the Times is a national
1: newspaper is not really. Of that course, le- it's okay, a national still talk newspaper,
0: about but it focuses. on okay.
1: It. okay. But the editors are located there, so they cover their own schools
0: more. Well, but, yeah, and you're surpre- now. Tell me this: Does the Baton Rouge paper cover Harvard more or LSU more? A couple
1: of LSU football. I hadn't seen them cover anything about the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. But they cover Harvard at, as at much. Least as – in my, like, in, my, in my in my looking at the computer at the sites. At the press, uh, at who the Congress calls, I don't think they've called the president of the University of Indiana to ask him what they're doing about it on campus. But but we're going to – everybody's everybody's treated the same. There's no such thing as Ivy elitism or something. It's not what the show needs to be about.
0: (laughs) Okay, fine. Let's move on. You know, one more thing, James. Kevin McCarthy. The former speaker, I think the shortest speaker in the history of the House, has just resigned. I don't think anything more needs to be said about that.
1: Two. I mean, Washington is, and, you know, it's not limited to Washington, too. Let me tell you, the same thing is true in, in, in New Orleans. The same thing is true where I'm in Los Angeles. Uh, same thing is true all over the country, and it, a lot of people do have jobs that require them, Particularly somebody like you, a journalist, that part of your job is to go out at night and go to parties and rub elbows with people because those are the, and totally legitimate and part of part of your job. You you got to have sources, you got to develop, you need to listen to gossip and things like that. But you get up in the morning, you 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 got to you got to rock and roll. I, whenever I think of this product. I I think it was just too late for our friend Jack Jamal, who could, (laughs) who could like stay up and belly him down to like three o'clock in the morning and get up at five and go cover some candidate at at a plant gate and write a terrific story. Uh, this product could have had real, real value back in the 80s and 90s, I promise you.
0: (laughs) James, it would have had real value for you and me. I don't know that Jack needed it. He's one of those rare creatures that might not have needed it. But for the rest of us, boy, do we need it, right? You know, it's the perfect way to make sure you perform your best after a long night. It's a pioneering effort by PhD scientists to create the world's first genetically engineered probiotic to accomplish the greater good. Tackling rough mornings after drinking so you get back to business. To fill you in, Z-Biotics Pre-Alcohol Probiotic is the world's first genetically engineered probiotic. It was invented by PhD scientists to tackle rough mornings after drinking. Here's how it works. When you drink alcohol, it gets converted into a toxic byproduct in the gut. It's this byproduct, not dehydration, that's to blame for your rough next day. So Z-Biotics produces an enzyme to break this byproduct down. It's designed to work like your liver, but in your gut, where you need it the most. Just remember to drink Z-Biotics before drinking alcohol. Drink responsibly, get a good night's sleep to feel your best in the morning. Now, James, you go on long runs after long nights, and that's with cold D.C. mornings or sometimes very humid Louisiana or Mississippi mornings. Every time we have a Z-Biotics before a drink, it makes such a difference the next day. Even after drinks to the client dinner the night before, I know I'll be able to jump into action right after waking up. You'll feel ready to go with Z-Biotics, whether it's writing all day, going for a run, or even going in front of an audience. So Z-Biotics, You ought to give it a try for yourself. Go to zbiotics.com slash PWR to get 15% off your first order when you use the code PWR at checkout. Zbiotics is back with a 100% money-back guarantee. So if you're unsatisfied for any reason, they'll refund your money. No questions asked. Remember to head to zbiotics.com slash PWR And use the code PWR at checkout for 15% off. You can also go grab the link from our show notes. I want to thank Z Bionics for sponsoring this episode. Hey, James, our guest is Marcy Hamilton, a woman of diverse talent. She's a professor at the University of Pennsylvania, uh, an expert on the Constitution. She also runs a foundation to combat sexual child abuse, and she was a law clerk to Sandra Day O'Connor. That's a pretty darn impressive resume. Um, professor, we're honored to have you on here. Let me ask you for the new Republican Speaker of the House, Mike Johnson, says that the separation of church and state is a myth. The founders may have actually, you know, preferred more a theocracy. What do you think?
2: Thank you so much for having me first. And, and let me say about Mike Johnson, he's absolutely wrong. Um, and the person he's most wrong about is James Madison, the drafter of the First Amendment, who fundamentally believed and remembered that the Inquisition in Europe was a terror that the um, suppression of religions in England all came over here. Those believers came here because of a theocracy. So they're creating false narratives in order to secure their own power.
0: He also, well, he, you know, he says, well, it's not in the Constitution. It was just a letter that Jefferson wrote, but I think you've rebutted that uh, very effectively. Um Uh, He he also says that Bible should be taught. I think he even said on one occasion, but the Bible should be a, you know, a mandatory uh, uh, course in public schools. What would the, what would the people in 1788 and 1789, 87 think about that?
2: Well, you know, there was no unity among religious believers in the, at the time of the framing at all. We had a wide array that disagreed with each other. In fact, Some disagreed with each other so much they killed each other. So this mythology that there was one Bible, one Christian faith at the time of the framing that would tell us what we should do and um, how we should organize our government now, it's just false. It's magical thinking that is taking us down the road of anti-democracy.
0: And certainly they wouldn't, well, I say certainly I'm going to ask you, uh, those who say they would embrace white Christian nationalism uh, probably also misread that history.
2: Uh, The white Christian nationalists really misread it. Uh, You know, first of all, they do not acknowledge that Jews were here very early in the 1600s they do not acknowledge that uh christians were so diverse that they were actually not agreeing with each other on a lot of things so you know it's easy to live in your own bubble in this universe in this internet universe where you can make up your own history and take a few shards of history and weave it into your own blanket and that's what's happening right now and that that's truly the danger
0: I'm going to turn this over to James in just a minute, but for you know, you were a Sandra Day O'Connor clerk. What was she like, and what's her legacy?
2: She was a force of nature. Um, I, I really uh, have to take offense at anybody who says she was a so-called swing vote who was looking both sides to figure out how to vote. She was strong. She had her own center of gravity. And I learned from her about professionalism. I learned how to get along with people you disagree with. And I also learned that you don't have to be a man to succeed. And uh, she just set an extraordinary example for the
0: country. Well, this current court sure could use her, couldn't they?
2: I could use three or four of them at this point. <laughs> she, was, <laughs> she was so rational, so thoughtful. She cared about each case on its facts she did not have a dogma that she was trying to implant onto the United States at all.
0: James Carville. Uh, so thank you, Professor. I think the best
1: paid historian in the country right now is a man by the name of David Barton, who might be not, not a bad historian, a, a historian that literally gets everything possibly wrong that you could get. Do you have any insight of why people crave and pay big money to be lied to? Do you mean any, just as a human being, I,
2: I've always wondered about this and I've, I've never been able to come up with a satisfactory answer myself. Well, for, I have no idea why they like to be lied to, except that it's sometimes comfortable. But the, the concern is that since the mid 1980s, we've had a movement of conservative Catholics and conservative evangelicals that have put the truth aside. Their end always justifies the means, and it doesn't matter who's hurt, and it doesn't matter who gets lied to. So you know, those who are creating false historical facts to fill in the gaps for the mythology that's being woven um, are just part of the the ugliness right now, which is anti-science, anti-history, and anti-reality. And you put those together, and it's toxic. That's what we're living and, with. And you have an organization about, about, that
1: works with children, that does children's issues. Could you tell us a little bit about that, please?
2: Sure. So about six years ago, I started Child USA. It was the outgrowth of uh, 20 years of working on these issues as a law professor. And essentially, it's a think tank that I started to achieve children's civil rights, to protect them from child sex abuse to protect them from medical neglect and to protect them from educational neglect. So, um, you know, I used to have seven research assistants at a time. Uh, now I have a nonprofit.
1: Great. So Professor Hamilton, this is something I'm, I'm uh, this something I'm obsessed with. Uh, I have two daughters and when people have well-known parents, they're, they're good things that come with it. You're good tables at a restaurant. You know, you, you can summer in Europe sometimes, but also it, there's some conflict, particularly with girls. And so there's a kind of a rule that children are not combatants. It's fine if you want to have some teenage kids and run through some fall leaves with King Timberhoe and talk about your family. No one's going to say that. Mike Johnson uses his children as political props. He, he has his daughter sign a purity pledge, which I'm going to which is my understanding, it it's had really adverse effect on these young girls that have to grow up live with this. His son now this is something I can speak to, is 17, and he has something called "covenant eyes," where they spy on each other's computer habits to make sure that they're not watching porn. I, I'm pretty sure that is objective is to stop his 17-year-old son from masturbating. I have news for you, Mike, it ain't going to work. Okay, that I have some experience with. But but could you talk a little bit about using teenage girls as object to advance some weird anti-female agenda and the harm that you're exposing this young child to?
2: So it's our belief that children have a right to an open future. In other words, parents should not be able to make decisions that destroy them before they get to 18. They, they can make those decisions then. But that child deserves to be treated with respect and also to be able to explore whether it's her own sexuality or it's her own identity. So... Um, You know, I worry about the parental rights groups, which are very closely aligned with Mike Johnson. And, you know, their view is they own their children. Their children are just putty that they can shape any way they want and that they shouldn't have the outside world judging them or shaping them. And that's just not true. Uh, You know, at one point, parents actually owned their children as property. Fathers owned children for work in the early 19th century. we didn't even have rights against child abuse until the mid 19th century, but we do now. so the notion that children are just putty in the hands of religious parents to be used for their own ends it's just wrong and it is flying against the growing civil rights of children, which we all need to recognize.
1: yeah, I just want to hone down, but doing this. It has real potential of having adverse effects on that on that child's life. Right. I mean, not only right. are they doing something weird, and, and you know, and doesn't account for anything that we know. The, the Johnsons are actually putting that child at risk, at, at serious risk. If you look at the, the consequences of, 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 of this kind of stuff, I, that's my view, and I'm pretty I'm pretty sure you agree with me.
2: Well, tr- true. I mean, the culture they live in believes that if you're doing something for religious purposes, the harm that happens doesn't matter. It doesn't matter to them that women might die during pregnancy if they can't get an abortion. It really doesn't matter because the end justifies the means. And the same is true with raising your children. If you're doing it for God, then it's just fine, and the negative consequences aren't your fault.
1: God, okay, Albert, what, it's a weird world we live in, I'll tell you.
2: Yeah, <laughs> you know, I you know,
0: I'd like to stay on this uh, child abuse just for a couple questions, um, uh, because that foundation you run is so important. I was at a dinner this week uh, with with um, Marty Barron, who before he was at the Washington Post, was the editor at the Boston Globe that exposed uh, the. The, the terrible pedophiles in the Catholic Church it was a hugely courageous, important story. They made a um, a big movie about it uh, and and uh, the other i think the other I think that was one of the biggest issues here and the other one was was your attorney general some years ago josh shapiro 's devastating report on sexual abuse uh, in pennsylvania uh, it 's not just the Catholics it 's pervasive in many evangelical churches, boarding schools H- How much difference has those highly publicized reports made. and I'm sure there's still some uh, abuse, but is it getting better?
2: So what those reports have done is help us to change the statute of limitations so the victims can go to court. They were silenced. We had a whole system where by the time a victim was able to tell anybody, they're already shut out of court. And that meant all the power was with the perpetrators and their cover-up institutions. That's changed. And that Child USA's primary expertise and work is on opening up justice to these victims. So now, um, you know, we're not terribly popular with a lot of organized religions that have covered up sex abuse uh, and other organizations because if you give a voice to the victims and and not just tell them to go stand in the street and tell their story to the press, if you give them a voice in the legal system, it changes the world. And it's the only way that we're actually pushing back. So is the world safer now? It is because we have more stories. Do we need a lot more justice for the victims? Yes, because who's the primary um, lobbyist against the victims in the legislatures? It's the Catholic bishops and the insurance industry. They are trying to shut them down wherever they can.
0: Wow. Well, well, uh, you know, I hope we have more Josh Shapiro's and Marty Barons. Let me try one more, que- uh, one more question, because you have so many uh, areas of expertise, uh, including uh, the First Amendment. What's your view on the roiling controversy on college campuses, including your own, around the uh, around free speech uh, and uh, whether it ought to be limited, given the emotions of the uh, of the. Israeli-Hamas uh, war? I mean, tell me whether you think there's a line that has been crossed or should not be crossed or whatever.
2: I think these are really hard issues. But the, the soul of the First Amendment and the freedom of speech in the United States is that people can express their views until they incite violence. Mm-hmm. And I don't think the college campuses have been um, as strong as they should have been about the potential that certain speech was going to incite violence against others. So we need to protect the words and we need to protect the ability to speak, but absolutely no one has a right to harm anyone in any way. And, you know, we've lost sight of that. Uh, You know, when I was teaching, I'm teaching free speech in my con law class last week, and I was explaining to the students that we protect offensive speech under the First Amendment because we presume there won't be a fight. But the minute there's a fight, the minute there's going to be violence, we ha- it has to stop. So I do think the United States needs to do, get back to this concept of debate. But we also have to edge a lot farther away from violence. And that is really the challenge for all of these university presidents is you want to foster the discussion, but you can't let others be hurt. And I think that's very hard right now.
0: Well, violence or you can't interfere with the others as they have on some some campuses, you know, shouting down speakers and everything. That's where they lose.
2: Oh, precisely. Yeah. I mean,
0: you know, you're what you're saying, really, I mean, I've you got to you'll forget more about this than I'll know. But it's a subject that fascinates me. And it was Justice Brandeis a hundred years ago who basically said no speech should be limited unless it incites violence or the, or the threat of violence. And, uh, that's still pretty darn good standard.
2: It is. Uh, the problem right now is that the harm that can be afflicted through the internet yeah. is so serious that, that our doctrine about free speech hasn't caught up yet. So just how much harm can you do through your words, um, it should be limited, but right now people are being doxed and destroyed. Uh, it's really a scary time for speech, but at the same time, um, we, there is right and wrong. There is right and wrong, and anti-Semitism is evil. Islamophobia is evil. And so what I do fear um, on some of the campuses is they're not as clear, about the right and the wrong as they are about the need for the uh, speech. James. So, so
1: Professor, this is something that I struggle with. I, I spent 16 years teaching, three at a community college, nine at a private university, and four at a large state university. And I, I told my students, the only reason that I do not invite David Duke to speak to you is that I'm a moral coward. Now, understand, I would have zero, zero philosophical interest, and I would say this if I don't train you any better that you would fall for that, then it shame on me. But could you give us an example of free speech that should be the most extreme free speech that should be protected and an example of free speech that shouldn't be protected? because if, if if somebody says that Israel's occupied the Middle East since 1948, of course they got a U.N. charter, but you know you know that, that's the, in, in the, the settlements are just a, it was a horrifically stupid thing to do, and the Palestinians are exercising their right to self-determination. Would that be protected?
2: Well, I mean, here's the way to look at it. What's protected is what the speaker is saying and is not getting us up to the point of violence. But the minute, the minute there is the likelihood of violence, and I would add harm, the authorities have the capacity to suppress it. Now, you know what's complicated here is that these private universities are not the government, right? right? The First Amendment limits the government. Right. These right. are private universities. Right. Congress has so, Congress, <laughs> right? It's not the First Amendment. Uh, that's at stake here, it is academic freedom and the way in which the academic system works. So, you know, recently we had in Philadelphia, we had the march, um, the pro-Palestinian march that stopped in front of a Jewish restaurant because it was Jewish and owned by a Jew. That is ugly. That is anti-Semitism. So what do you do about that? They didn't attack them. What you do is you call it what it is, which a Governor Josh Shapiro immediately got in the air and said, it's anti-Semitic, it's not acceptable in our state. Mm-hmm. And for anyone who uh, engaged in violence, which there were a few bad actors, really bad actors, we're coming to get you. So I just, we all need to keep our cool in the sense of we want to hear what people are thinking and going to do. We don't want to be surprised by the ugliness. At the same time, you can't let it turn into a mob and you can't let it turn into violence. So that horrible human being up in Burlington, Vermont, that fired on you know, three kids, essentially, Palestinian kids, that was an outrage and we still don't know what motivated him to do it, but it does seem clear that he did it because of who they were. Again, that's not speech, that's violence.
1: But, but protesting, specifically targeting a, a synagogue or a Jewish restaurant and protesting in front of that, that, that in itself should be protected, correct? 100%. Yeah, that, that, because right. I, I, I struggle with this, and I've struggled with it for a long time. And, I, and the the to me, before I go and turn back to Al, the, the organization that I find one of the most disappointing imaginable was the American Civil Liberties Union. They, <laughs> they've kind of turned it back. I always, you know, I always thought the Nazis should
2: march in Skokie, All right? And, and so did the Supreme Court. Right. I agree. Well, getting, let me you know, just I...
0: let me go further in that. The congressman from Skokie was Abner J. Mikva, one of the greatest members in in the history of the Congress. Later, a federal judge who said the worst mistake of his life was saying the Nazis should not be able to march in Skokie, uh, and right. and and that was the sort of test you're talking about,
2: uh, Professor. Yeah. No, you've got to let them go through. You've got, but but they only get to march. Right. They right. don't get to throw things. They don't get to go into the synagogue. They don't get to get onto private property. Right? High,
1: the Highland Park is not free speech, <laughs> no. to say the least. Right. It's cronality.
0: <laughs> Before we let you go, tell me this. Do you ever run into my dear friend David Eisenhower up at Penn, Professor?
2: Unfortunately, no. I'm— uh, I'm in and out so much.
0: Well, I'm going to try. To, this spring, I'm back teaching again, my 24th year. And I'm going to go and I'm going to try to see if I can get you and David for a lunch.
2: Would love it. You wouldn't. That would be absolutely you would awesome. Each other.
0: You've been a great guest. You've you've edified us, uh, if we can be edified. Uh, and I think really laid out some uh, really important markers. So thank you so much. Yes, ma'am. Thanks. Thank you. Two Thanks things I really having... care
1: about is, you know, children and free speech. Right. <laughs> you're on top of both of them. No, you kidding me. It, you, anything that you do, they accumulate it. They sell it. As I've said any number of times in this show, if you just Google best hotels in London, about thirty seconds later you get you you get a message from the Canad or the Dorchester or, or any, any you know the, the Ritz, uh, any of those places like that. And, I suspect that that goes not just with high-end luxury London hotels, It goes with, with with anything else that you want. And that's that's the way that these companies operate. And you get all this irritating crap. And plus, they're probably spying on stuff that that you wouldn't. You know, there's nothing wrong with looking for a good hotel in London. There's other stuff that you do on your computer. You probably would not want other people selling to other people. And this is one product. This is like that. I don't think. We need to sell the need to have this. I think people understand that.
0: Well, this holiday season, while you're sharing the table during those big family meals, I want you to think about everything you've looked at on your phone in the previous few days. Every website, every purchase you've considered, and wherever curiosity might have taken you. Just think who's in charge of the Wi-Fi. You've been enjoying all that content. Is it your brother? Is it your sister? Is it your spouse? Is it your son, sister-in-law? Who else? Well, guess what? That person has access to all the stuff you've been looking at, unless you do what we do and use ExpressVPN. ExpressVPN is an app we have on our phones and computers that encrypts all of our online traffic. So whatever we do stays private, the way it ought to be. By the way, if you think incognito mode will save you, think again. Incognito mode does nothing except hide your history from yourself. So if you don't have ExpressVPN turned on, you may as well just Clink your glass at dinner and read your browsing history out loud. Or even just go yell it in the street. The same goes wherever you are, work, home, or traveling. Are you really going to trust your boss, friends, or Airbnb host to respect your privacy? It's better safe than sorry, which is what got us using ExpressVPN a few years back. With all the time spent on the road and working from public spaces, you want to make sure that what you're doing stays private. The things I want and what I research is my business. ExpressVPN has made us feel way more secure, and we know it will do the same for you. That's why we partner with ExpressVPN to get you a special holiday offer. Now listen to this. Go to expressvpn.com warroom war room right now, and you get three extra months free. That's E X P R E S S V P N. slash war room. Again, expressvpn.com slash war room to learn more or find the link to online safety in our show notes. All right, James, now for the outrage of the week. I'm picking on this guy, but he just does it for me every week. Lindsey Graham. He's upset with Liz Cheney for trashing (laughs) Donald Trump, who is the South Carolina Republican's new hero. Now, Lindsey thinks the establishment press has turned against him for ideological reasons. Nonsense. When he was the favorite of that press, I plead guilty. I recommended him for the John F. Kennedy Profile Courage Committee, enjoyed him at dinner parties. But Lindsey or squiggly tea biscuit, as Christopher Buckley calls him, always needs a role model, a surrogate leader. For years, it was John McCain. Now, their beliefs meshed, and Graham idolized McCain's character. When the Arizona senator died, Graham turned to a new model, Donald J. Trump. (laughs) You couldn't pick someone more opposite than McCain, who only two years earlier, Graham had said was a race-baiting, xenophobic, religious bigot. Now, Trump didn't change. Squiggly did and he became a sycophant for his new surrogate. After January 6, Squiggly said, that's it, no more Trump for me. But it didn't take more than a couple days for Trump to reel him back in. Liz Cheney remains very conservative, but she understands the threat a second term poses for our institutions, our democracy. She also possesses character. And that's something that Squiggly just doesn't understand. Well, Albert, I, I would just say this,
1: that there are a lot of people at psychiatrists, psychologists, and things that do wonder aloud about Lindsey Graham's craving for male authoritarian figures. And I'll just leave that observation where it is and the listener that may draw her or his own conclusion of, of that obviously demonstrated need to have a strong male authoritarian Good figure point. in his life. First of all, before, I, I want to acknowledge uh, the passing of, of Norman Lear, I think, is one of the more positive cultural influences that we've had in this country for a long, long time. I, he, both he and his wife, Lynn, were friends of mine. They were investors in the documentary that my time hours making about my life. And I, I it's hard to imagine any person in entertainment that has had a more positive cultural influence on American life than Norman Lear. He died at 101 uh, to to Lynn and all of Norman's family and friends. Man, what a a life well lived. So my outrage is uh, something, not, not many people realize this, but when my dad was at LSU, college boxing was a pretty big sport. It was it was particularly big at LSU. It, 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 this was it was big in the 30s and 40s. It, it kind of petered out uh, in the early 50s. And University just by University of Wisconsin would be like the Alabama of modern football as to what Wisconsin was college boxing. But when I was a kid, my dad used to say, you know, you, you never lead with your chin. So I was I did Bill Moore Friday night. And I knew how stupid these people were, and I knew that it would lead with their chin. So I said something that I, that I believe very deeply, by the way, that Christian nationalism is a greater threat to Ameri- American democracy than Islamic fundamentalism. I might have said Al Qaeda, but that said Christian nationalism. And okay, going back and forth. So Speaker Johnson sends out a tweet that I said, that Christians were a greater threat to America than than Al-Qaeda, ISIS. And then, of course, his lackey, butt boy, uh, Tony Perkins, an intellectual midget, if one ever existed, tweets out the same thing. Now, there there are many different versions of the Ten Commandments, but I'm going to use the King James Bible version because that's the one they – they claim to adhere to. And commandment number nine is, thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. But being me, in knowing that these clowns would do that, I've made an offer to them. My friend Paul Bogalow is out here in California with me, and we will do this. We will have a debate. Resolve. Christian nationalism is a greater threat to the United States than Islamic fundamentalism. Furthermore, we will agree to do it at Louisiana Christian University in Pineville, Louisiana, which is owned by the Louisiana Baptist Convention. Next, we are more than willing to allow Speaker Johnson and Mr. Perkins to, to pick the moderator of their choice. May I suggest Dr. Joe Aguillard, former president of Louisiana Christian, you might find him to be an interesting character. And I will only—we'll do it for free. No expenses, no nothing. All right. And our only condition is—is is that we charge admission. The Louisiana Christian University can take a cut on whatever the expenses that they had for putting this event on, and that the remainder of the money go to some agreed upon charity. What we would like would be to to. Reduce infant mortality in Louisiana, which I think has the highest rate in the country. But maybe they like infant mortality because I don't know. I have no idea what these crazy bastards think. But it'd have to be, or maybe the American Cancer Society or, you know, MS or or any any of these sort of horrific neurological disorders that people have. we gladly send the check check. What I'm not going to do is agree to send it to some fucking creationism, blind bullshit stuff. But I think we could come up with something good. And speak Johnson, uh, Mr. Perkins, you have an open invitation at, at the venue that would be most favorable to you, and you pick the moderator most favorable to you. And you know the chances that these little chicken shit dweeb cowards will take me up on this? Try zero. You know, it it it's critical, and you know, having this thing in—I uh, guess it's Dubai, which seems like a a giant circle jerk to me, but maybe maybe there's more to it than that. And you know, I noticed from working in 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 Brazil, I noticed from working in Africa, I noticed from working in Indonesia, all of which are countries that. Have these huge forests, and they're what they call carbon sinks. They they absorb these gases, these greenhouse gases. Of course, they, every time you buy, go go out buy a newspaper, it's some not many of the times it's some carbon sink that you're taking something out of. Where this product. Doesn't do that, and I don't know who I don't know these guys personally, but I I I hope they're in Dubai explaining how dangerous these paper products can be to to the the atmosphere and therefore to to the earth itself. You're
0: absolutely right. You you know, with that in mind, it's time to talk about a real problem with holiday gifting. Why are we giving coal to people on the naughty list? Coal is a terrible gift, and because it's awful for the environment, these people will only fall deeper in Santa's debt. Instead, let's consider a gift that everyone can use and will make our planet happy. Premium, sustainable bamboo toilet paper from real paper. Bamboo is the perfect material for toilet paper. It's amazingly soft and strong because the plant regenerates like grass. We're not killing trees just to make something that we use once and flush down the drain. So when you use real, it doesn't feel like you're sacrificing something to help the earth. In fact, it feels like an upgrade. Plus, it's always shipped free to your door in plastic-free packaging. And you can schedule it on a subscription so that it comes exactly when you need it. Now, we never have to worry about forgetting to buy any at a store. It's comfortable, soft, and after discovering it, James and I won't stock anything else in our homes. And we love how Real is partnered with One Tree Planted. So with every box of Real that you buy, they are funding reforestation across the country. Real is planting trees, not cutting them down. And Real Paper is available in easy, hassle-free subscriptions or for one-time purchases on their website. And all orders are conveniently delivered to your door with free shipping and 100% recyclable Plastic-free packaging. Now, if you head to realpaper.com slash warroom and sign up for a subscription using our code warroom at checkout, you'll automatically get 30% off your first order and free shipping. That's R-E-E-L-P-A-P-E-R dot com slash warroom. Or enter promo code warroom to get 30% off your first order plus free shipping. Let's make a change for the good this year and switch to real paper. Real is paper for the planet. And you also can find the link to the deal in our show notes. All right, now for our just superb questions from our really smart listeners, James. Catherine in Essex, Connecticut says, no labels and third-party proponents constantly make the claim they have to turn to a third party because both major parties have become too extreme. They never seem to be asked to name one Biden policy out of the mainstream. And while GOP extremism is, is, is evident, shouldn't no labels and their ilk, whatever uh, the opening may be, but shouldn't no labels be held to account by the media and the pundits for what they stand for and who's giving to them? Well, they can't be held accountable for who's well, giving to them. That's what I mean. They, they can be sculch. held accountable by making them. I agree. But, I, 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 and,
1: but the, the, the problem is all of that is true. But there's a market for it, and, and you can just see Nikki Haley going – right from the Iowa caucuses or New Hampshire right into the no labels and whether they pick her as a presidential candidate or vice presidential candidate. But she is, in my opinion, is, is, is a good possibility that she becomes part of this. And they don't get a lot of votes. Can't be, yeah. And Bobby Kennedy Jr., who's done any? Has anybody asked him for his health records, for his mental health records, for his past drug uh, uh, use, for exactly what happened to his second wife? Are we getting any any questions about this anywhere? Because he's going to get a bucket load of votes. And now, uh, my friend from Carson Liz Cheney, she's probably going to get in. She's got more contributions and shit than you can imagine. You you know, she she has an important voice. So we're going to end up, who gets on what state? I don't know. So we're going to end up with Biden, Trump, no labels, some version, just like possibility, some of them are more likely than others, some version of Liz Cheney. Cornell West. Now, Jill Stein is setting out on her own course, and right now, third parties are getting twenty percent. Twenty percent. Who's to say that's going to go down? Given the, the dissatisfaction that we face with in American politics, and, and it's it's really horrible that. That there's no attention being paid, and this is an existential threat to the United States. And people are going to walk into the voting booth and they're going to think they're passing a protest vote or, or, or sending a message, a measure of their frustration. And I'll give you one example in Mississippi, there was a third party. That third party, announced that she was dropping out. It was a woman, I think it was, if I'm not mistaken, it was was. was a black woman, who announced that she was dropping out, but it was endorsing Brandon Presley. They didn't have the time to get her name off the ballot, so they posted a sign in every precinct reminding voters that she had dropped out. I don't think the sign said she'd endorse Presley, but that, that this person was no longer in the race, and but her name couldn't be extracted from the ballot and I, I think, understandable reason. She got 1.4 <laughs> percent. Okay. In, 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 Donald Trump got a higher percentage in, in Pennsylvania, Michigan, Wisconsin, and Arizona in 2020 than he did in 2016. He lost them all in 2020, won them all in 2016. Thank you, Jill Stein. Thank you, Vladimir Putin. Thank everybody for not pointing this out and it it is a it is something to
0: be enormously frightened about uh, I hope Liz yeah. Cheney doesn't run, but maybe she will. I'd be a, I'd I don't think be a mistake for her that, and it'd be a mistake, you know, anyway. They've been, they've been Gordon in Norwood, Michigan, asks, how helpful to the Democrats will the utter chaos that has swept over the Michigan GOP in the race to replace Senator Stabenow and in Michigan's electoral votes in the presidential contest? That Michigan party, which used to be a really powerful Republican party, they dominated the state and the state legislatures, winning most of the governors and statewide offices. It is, it is it is crazy now. You have an election-denying chairman who is being challenged by an election-denying challenger. Uh, they, uh, they compete to see who can go further to the right. The DeVos family, which I always thought was crazy right wing, now worries that the party is moving too far to the right. I don't think you can have that kind of a, 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 a situation with your state party without hurting some. Now I don't know who the nominee is going to be, but they're going to run against Alyssa Slotkin, who's going to be a pretty strong general election candidate. So I would consider Michigan, you know, one of the least likely pickups for the Republicans. So it so happened I was at an event with Justin Benson, the
1: Michigan Secretary of State, who by the way is one really impressive person. And you know, I had like what you do at these things. I sat down with her and you know talked to him for ten minutes. And I I think that they're they're very confident about the U.S. Senate race, Uh, not confident at all about the presidential race. Uh, And and the problems in in Dearborn, in southeastern Michigan, with with the Arab-American community are, are, are really profound. And, you know, they are... But that's a, a real issue in not you know Obviously, is Michigan most famous and heaviest concentrated on there's a lot of them in other other potential swing states, and you know little numbers uh, matter big, so there's in terms of state government in congressional and Senate elections you, I think you're safe and feeling pretty good about Michigan in terms of national politics. If you think anything like I do, you you got an enormous pit in something. I would just say this is clear as a belt. You don't win Michigan. No, you only, no, win no, no,
0: no, no. It's more than that. They it's don't. a blowout. If you don't win Michigan, Trump wins yeah. in a semi-landslide and will Correct. take the Senate and probably the House with him. And, and, <laughs> and i got to tell you, I, I didn't hear a great well, deal of confidence. I mean, it's a real disaster. If that occurs, Nick in Billings, Montana asked, he said, crossover voting is largely considered a myth. But if the polling guarantees the GOP voters won't push Haley past Trump in 2024, could a coordinated effort by Democratic voters in open or semi-open primary states change their fortunes? No, with one exception, and it's, it's different, and that's New Hampshire. And the reason it's different in New Hampshire is because over 40 percent of New Hampshire voters are independents. If it was a primary New Hampshire with just Republicans, Trump would win in a walk. But if independents vote in that Republican primary because there doesn't appear to be a real Democratic contest, and with a popular governor getting behind a, I suppose a Haley, but a non-Trump candidate, it could make a difference there. Uh, but I don't think it does in any other state. Yeah,
1: I, I, I don't have any reason to to to, to quibble with you on that. I uh, I think in terms of presidential politics, and I but I said this yesterday it was around Brownstein. The, the, we, the hope that that Democrats have, the hope that we had that we would have a candidate other than Biden is, frankly, receding every day to being very marginal. The 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 positive hope that you could hope for us, not not don't know what's going to happen, is as this recovery keeps going on and there is a recovery by, by any kind of measure but you no know, people don't want to acknowledge it that over the summer th- they start to realize that they have something to lose and as a result of that the the, the polling numbers start to improve I cannot tell you that I think that's going to happen but I can tell you with some confidence that that's a possibility and that's a hope it's not a it's not a totally Lost idea, it's not a cockamamie idea. Is it likely? I don't know. But at some point, if it does not, if if people just remain convinced for whatever reason, Biden is too old, my life is too crappy, I got to vote for a change, then the Democrats have to go all in on a campaign of fear. Where you say, well, man, you know, you don't do that, you're just going to be 100% negative. Yeah, that, yeah that's all. All that's true, and, and I, I, I will I, you know, take a backseat to anybody in my criticism of the insular nature of high-end American journalism. I gotta say I'm starting to get a little bit impressed that at least they're trying to expose at this late date exactly who, who he is and what the risks are. But But I think by middle of July, if we're not starting to see some appreciation of the economic situation on the part of people, then we got to throw the switch. is just where we are.
0: What does throw the switch mean, James?
1: All fear, yeah. all negative. Run ads of, of, you know, all of the people that worked in the Trump administration about what, what this means. Put people on and talk about the end of the Constitution because that is exactly what it means. Talk to people about the potentiality of lost freedom. Talk to them about – just as we said on this show, we don't have a PR campaign. Ukraine is – Putin is winning, period, end of argument. And, and, and what that's going to mean? You have, you know, I don't know. People talking from in states where you have a large number of Polish voters. You have people coming on and says, "We doomed. Just do everything and justifiably scare the living shit out of people." That's when, when hope don't work. Fear is the next is the next step.
0: I, I don't think there's much. I, I, I don't argue. I think you're right. Uh, we mentioned this earlier, but Peter in Melbourne, Australia, wants to know specifically, James, if Liz Cheney does run, does she take more from Trump or from Biden? You know, Al, and I see that some people say, well, Bobby Kennedy will take more from Trump or Cornel
1: West will take more from this, what the whole effect is, there's a hardcore Trump number. I, I, I say 43, all right? But I, I, how do I know? But but that's not an unreasonable not. number, right? So, and if you have, you know, and I don't know if they're all going to do, I don't know about access, what state. I want to be very careful here. You don't run for president like if you put your name out there and you run for governor. But but if if the third parties are polling right now, 20%, that's even without Liz Cheney in there. And so, if far... Forty-three could be the one. That's what that's what Clinton got. Understand? I'm the most famous political consultant, you know, in a long time, based on forty-three point six percent. So, I, and I see this commentary, and I'm like, the fucking world are you living in? People said, well, James, you know, Trump can't get to fifty. Of course, he can't get to 50. He's never got the closest he ever got was forty-seven. But that's not the question. And, and so Liz gets in, in. I, you know, consensus, I, and you, you can go and try to extrapolate from this poll and it's this time, it hurts this person and that person. No, that's not the question. If, if you have in, in Trump's by every imaginable poll, which I mean, it, could, it could be wrong, but highly doubtful, that the Trump vote is way more locked in than the Biden vote. It certainly is. And... and, and just do simple math. Don't, don't, don't try to overcomplicate it. And I, I know people had come and had called me. Well, I looked at the poll and, I, you know, there were 75 interviews and said this. It, it fucked that. Just do. So you have 100. Third parties get, you know, 26. Then what is two into 74? And that, you might win with that number. You could easily. I, I, I'm. That's probably a, a a little bit of exaggeration, but you 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 can do the math. And I'm not very good at math. I can do the math in my head. When I'm running, that's all I do is the math in my head, and it, it's enough to make you stop
0: wishing you didn't know how to add and subtract. Mm. No, you're right, Chris in West Chicago, Illinois. This is a great one to end these terrific questions on. Uh, Chris got a kick out of your commentary last week on Republican buffoonery. So Chris asked you to select the three biggest buffoons in Republican politics, not counting Donald Trump, upon who you would bestow the great buffoonery honor, James. That's a question
1: that I've I've thought about a lot. I mean, buffoonery, like... I don't think Lindsey Graham is a buffoon. I I think Lindsey Graham is a very, very needy person. And and it craves male authority. All right. I don't think that Kevin McCarthy, I'm just giving you, I'm I'm taking your question seriously, is a buffoon. I think he's a fucking bowl of jello. The guy that is up there would be Comer. I, I, top three, I don't know. Uh, Mike Johnson, uh, Clay Higgins, easily. When, when, when you get sanctioned by the Annie Frank Museum, you, you, that that automatically gets you in the top three of Buffon's James, of can, James, can I offer so you I one that go, I think you accept readily? Your calls. Go ahead. I'm open for nomination. The former head football coach at Auburn. I got, he's in. On <laughs> I mean, the upperville He's in. He, 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 he's in because... He, he, you have to be a buffoon and not yeah. know you're a buffoon, yeah. all right? And you're right. Automatic. I should probably should have been. By the way, we won that one. Thank you, General Ty. Man, I got the yeah. text from him. You know, I don't know. what We, but well, at least we tried. And this is one that you know we can we can say we we did it. Now, yeah, I'm sure we didn't have very much to do yeah. with it, but we we, we did try to bring some light him. on this. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You, your Tuberville was right in there. Yeah, well, he he's right in there,
0: but I think your Comer is right in there too. Clay Higgins yeah, probably Comer's is right in fact. Maybe so obscure.
1: fact. Yeah, in you know, so, let's just say in that in that spot, that, that's the Higgins,
0: Bobert, Bobert, right? You know, uh, the yeah. The all are you, I, you I, this, know. This, I, you too. know. Let me just yeah, tell I, Ash, I a, who writes a great question from West Chicago, Illinois. It's impossible to pick the top three. I mean, you know, you just because yeah. you leave out people yeah. who are so yeah. deserving. Yeah. Right. It's it's like Florida State of Alabama right. or something, okay? Right. Yeah. Right. You know, All
1: always.
0: right, keep those questions coming in. They are terrific. And if we didn't get to yours this week, we'll try to get to it next week. So send it back in again. Thanks for listening to Politics War Room with James Carville, and I'm Al Hunt. Don't forget to send your questions for us by email to politicswarroom@gmail.com at gmail.com or tweet them for next week's show at Politicon. Following this episode, we'd appreciate it if you'd check out the links to our sponsors, ZBiotics, ExpressVPN, and Real Paper in our episode show notes. We thank you for supporting them, because when you do, you help make this podcast happen. Now, to keep up with us, subscribe to Politics War Room on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. Now, you also can find other shows you might enjoy on the Politicon YouTube channel, or when you search Politicon on your favorite podcast sites. And remember, please rate the show with a five-star review. We'll be back next week with another show as we continue our war room planning.